Friends, welcome to our time of worship, and I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to follow along with the scripture reading, to do so. The Bibles in the pew racks are available for you. We're actually going to begin with the last verse of chapter 3 and move through Jonah chapter 4. Listen now to the Word of God. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live." But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm angry, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord God, I pray in these moments that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be in your presence a pleasing thing, that you would send us from this place more ready and eager to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes in life things don't go as we had thought they should go or hoped they should go. They turn out differently than what we wished had happened. And we also find ourselves having opinions about how life goes for other people. We think they should have made a different decision. We think they should have held a different opinion. Uh, we just think things should be different. And sometimes these opinions grow out of concern for other people, but sometimes they grow out of generalizations or prejudice or, or our self-interest rather than the interests of other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can confess that we look upon other people around the world, especially those who are different from us, and we don't always want to be with them. We don't always think to want the best for them. We don't want them to get things at times. We just don't have the regard for them that we should. And again, sometimes it happens because of prejudice or generalizations, and sometimes it happens because we just don't know people well. Jonah's got a pretty strong opinion about what he thinks ought to happen to those who live in Nineveh. And it's really not a very pretty picture. 
I mean, you know, we love this story about Jonah and the whale, but Jonah was really not a good role model for us in terms of, of our attitudes toward other people or our attitude toward God. Now, he was right. The Ninevites, uh, as part of the Assyrian Empire, did many, many bad things uh, to the Israelites. They were, they were mean. They did awful things. They hurt people. Um, and Jonah didn't need to be pleased about those things. And yet we find through the book that God, in His mercy, wants more than anything else to redeem the Ninevites from what they've done and what they've worshipped and become people who would know Him and worship Him. Now, remember at the very beginning of the book, God Himself is so angry with them that God sends Jonah to, to announce their calamity. And as it turns out, they repent. And now God is pleased, but Jonah's not. I don't know what sort of neighborhood you grew up in. I, I grew up out of town most of the time, but we lived in town for, for a bit of time. And in our backyard, we had a fence. And that fence did a couple things. It, it kept us in when we were little and wanted to explore. It kept us safely inside the boundaries that my parents wanted us to be in. It also kept other people out. It kept people who might not have been the sort of folks my, my parents wanted there to be there. Now, we could open the gate and let our friends in, and, and so we would have great games and have people like us, and it was, it was good to be together within this fence. But there was always a sense that there was a world outside of the fence, and there were people outside of the fence, and they were not the people who were invited inside the fence. We would only let in who we knew. During World War II, there were a couple soldiers who watched their, their buddy die in battle. And they wanted more than anything else for their, their friend to have a decent and honorable burial. So they saw nearby where they were a cemetery. And they went to the cemetery and they, and they found the person who was in charge of it. It happened to be a Roman Catholic priest. Now their friend was Protestant. And they asked the priest if they could bury their friend inside the cemetery. And he said, I'm sorry, but this is a Roman Catholic cemetery. You can't do that. But you could bury your friend right outside the fence. And so they did. And they went away to the other things that they were supposed to be doing. And they came back some months later. And they were looking for their friend's grave outside the fence and they couldn't find it. And so once again, they sought out the priest and they found him and they said, well, what happened to our friend's grave? And the priest said, well, after you left, I felt so badly about that that I got up in the middle of the night and I moved the fence and your friend is now within the boundaries of the fence of our cemetery. And I think that's a wonderful image of what God does for us, that sometimes we're invited in and we move inside the fence, and sometimes God takes the fence and moves it out a little farther so that we will be included in Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is extending the fence to the Ninevites. God extends the fence to all people wherever they start. As they come to faith in Christ, they are welcome inside. But Jonah's not happy about this. It's just, it's almost embarrassing, Jonah's attitude toward this. I love the, tr the truth and the honesty of Scripture, but it kind of makes me uneasy that Jonah, who would be called as a prophet, would be one who had these attitudes. He's angry and he's biased. And the first thing we see is that Jonah's anger is full of arrogance. His attitude is full of arrogance. First, he thinks God is wrong. So he gets angry at God and then he lectures God in the form of a prayer. 
Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall, and yet I knew you were a gracious and understanding God. Can you imagine going to God and say, Lord, you, you really, really messed this up? Now, maybe in our anger we do that from time to time, and, and God is gracious to hear us. But it raises the issue of who we think we are in the grand scheme of things that we should be telling God what to do rather than God working on our attitude and changing our hearts for the ministry God wants us to do. Because we always need to remember that God loves us, but God loves more than us. God loves us who have come to faith, and God loves the whole world and wants others to come to faith. And so God always opens the gate to the fence and says, please, come in. But Jonah's attitude is full of arrogance because he questions God as to whether God did the right thing. Secondly, Jonah's action then is to withdraw. He leaves the city, he goes east, and he sits down. He makes a shelter and waits to see what's going to happen. You get the idea from looking at how the story is written that, that Jonah's thinking that the city may be destroyed after all. And so, unlike some of us who hope for the best, Jonah gets outside of the city and in his judgmentalism hopes for the worst. He hates them. And God graciously provides a plant to complete the shade that Jonah's shelter doesn't give to him because God wishes to ease Jonah's discomfort and provides the plant to give that. And then, interestingly, the next morning, God provides a worm, and there goes the plant. And Jonah grows faint, and his spirit withers, and now he's angry about the plant, too. He's angry about everything. His attitude is arrogance, his action is to withdraw, and then his anger is full of prejudice. Jonah cannot get over his attitude toward the Ninevites. He doesn't like how the encounter with God turned out. He can't stand to see them saved. And it's a faith issue. Jonah, as he understands his faith, thinks that the Ninevites in their wickedness must be destroyed. It's an affront to Jonah's sense of God's justice that God would have mercy instead upon them. Pastor Tim Keller says that how Jonah reacts reminds us of a caution that we need to have about people who are racially and religiously different from, our, from us. Jonah, in essence, and it's clear from the prayer, Jonah wants a God of his own making. Jonah wants a world of his own values. And that's the real problem with Jonah's attitude is he, he's like a, his mind is like a crust and he can't allow the grace of God to break in for it. But as it says in Romans 3, God this, did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. So God's justice is fulfilled. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, and that's God's mercy then extended. And so Jonah's life and attitude is a cautionary tale for us that we're not to be cruel exploiters like the Ninevites. Certainly not. God doesn't bless what they were doing before. But we're also not to be pharisaical believers like Jonah who decide how the world ought to be and in essence fight God for that to happen, but instead to be spirit-changed men and women who desire to see the grace and mercy of God extend to people unlike us so that all may come and experience God's forgiveness. And of course, we find a contrast, but there's no other, there are no other human characters in this story. And we find the contrast instead in God, God who is faithful and just. God's attitude, unlike Jonah's, is one of concern for all people. 
The overarching theme of God's dealing with people throughout history is that God loves us. Jesus said that his mission was to come to seek and to save the lost, to go to those who have rejected God, to go to those who are ignoring God, to go to those who have dishonored God and say, if you receive Christ, if you receive this forgiveness, your life can be changed and come into the fence. So Jonah, in essence, is invited to become an ambassador on God's behalf because the Ninevites, like New Testament people would have looked upon the Samaritans or whoever else we struggle with, Jonah is supposed to be an ambassador, just as we are, because the call to us in first, rather, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 through 21, it says this, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That was Jonah's mission, to go proclaim judgment, but also to proclaim mercy. And when the Ninevites lean into mercy rather than judgment, this ambassadorship then leads them to Christ. And that's the call we have as well, that our concern should be like God's concern for people. Secondly, God has anger as well, but God's anger is righteous. Scripture tells us that God is a holy God. His anger, though, is, is aimed at sin, not at those who have received him. Nineveh's repentance leads to redemption, and therefore God is pleased. They're transformed. They're drawn inside the fence now. They're people who are welcomed in the kingdom of God. And God is challenging Jonah in the midst of this to put aside his previous prejudice and anger and hatefulness and say, in essence, Jonah, these folks are your brothers and sisters now. Shouldn't your attitude be changed? Is it right, God says, for you to be angry? The Hebrew literally says, is it pleasing? Does it bring gladness to be burning up about this? I love the, the tangibleness of this, to be burning up. Now, God is certainly focused against sin, and we, we mustn't come to chapter 4 ignoring chapter 1. God was angry at the Ninevites for their sinfulness and their unholiness. But Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus calls us to a relationship with him precisely because it becomes the bridge to bring people from their sin to the holy and loving God. God hates sin, but God loves people. We can't separate the two. It's part of God's holiness. God's anger is indeed righteous. And thirdly, God's actions, unlike Jonah, are consistent with his character. He says to Jonah, you've been concerned about the plant. I mean, is there any more of a self-centered guy you could think of who's mad about the plant and not about 120,000 people in the rest of the city? I mean, Jonah's attitude is, is amazing, especially when you think of what Jonah has seen throughout the course of what we were told, we are told in this book. What does God do? God stills the storm and the sailors worship him. He rescues Jonah from the belly of the fish and he recommissions him. He gives him a second chance to be obedient. He touches the heart, probably a very, very, very hard heart of the king of Nineveh, who then draws his people into the worship of the living God. And then God changes his mind and relents from the destruction he had intended. Wow, that's God. Isn't that amazing? 
that God in his love would do all of that in this little chapter. And think about from that time unto our time. Think of what God did through Jesus and what God is doing through the Holy Spirit. Think of what God is doing through us when we give him opportunity to do so. God's grace and mercy are breathtaking. And I think that it challenges us deeply to know that. So the short-sightedness of Jonah's attitude is juxtaposed by the great, gracious, wonderful, loving mercy of God. So let's focus this down a little bit. It's not just about Jonah. It's also about us. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, be my witnesses, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem would have been understood as the local area. Judea as the regional area. The ends of the earth, of course, are are self-explanatory. But the Samaritans, to go to Samaria, that would have been to go to a place where Jewish folks wouldn't have wanted to go because the Samaritans were enemies. So what, God, what Jesus is saying to the disciples then is go to the people unlike you. Go to the people who don't look like you, to the people who don't worship like you, to the people who don't treat others like you're supposed to, and take the gospel to them. Because as Paul later wrote, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. If we were to translate this, there is neither Ninevite nor Samaritan or whomever else even we would look upon in a negative or prejudicial way. And this is our work. It's God's desire that all would be saved. So we are called to be ambassadors on behalf of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says that in many ways, the story of Jonah mirrors the story of the prodigal son. And actually, Jonah's life encompasses both main characters, well, two of the three main characters. That the Jonah who runs away is the prodigal son who leaves his father. And the Jonah who comes back angry is the elder brother out in the field. And in both cases, God is the loving father who reaches out and tries to draw in to his presence those who have failed either by running away or by having a bad attitude. So who are the Ninevites to us? Who are those that we look down upon or, or look distastefully upon because they're not like us, because they don't look like us or because they don't act like us or because they don't have the values that we do? Will we, will we seek to have a heart like God's? Will we seek to have a heart which, which doesn't act like Jonah in, in judgment, in prejudice, in anger, in selfishness? Will we instead have a concern for people? Will we have a concern for their salvation? Will we bless them in any way that we can and so show them the love of Jesus Christ? Our, our country is so fractured. There's so many ways in which we see people acting as Jonah and Ninevites or, or, or whatever category you would like to use. And we in the body of Christ are called to go with the grace and the mercy and the very heart of God. Now, the book ends with a very, very important question. And the question is this in Jonah 4, verse 11. Should I not have a concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You know, I, I kind of wonder if Jonah ever got the message. Did he ever finally relent and say, okay, Lord, yes, you're right. These are now my brothers and sisters. Now I can live among them. I can accept them. 
The choices we make give evidence of what's going on in our hearts. Tony Campolo, a professor and pastor in Philadelphia area, Philadelphia area, tells a story once of being downtown in Philadelphia. And there were, he was at a busy intersection and there were horns honking and people yelling at each other, everybody in a hurry, everybody wanted to get there first. And all this noise and, and stress was happening and he looked to the left of him and there was a church. And on that church in the front of it was a cross. And right below the cross were these words, does this mean nothing to you, O you who pass by? So as we go about our lives in the stress and the anger and the confusion and the noise and how we're pushed from right to left up and down, may we also have it mean something to us, the cross, as people pass by us in our lives. Will we seek the heart of God? Will we either open the gate or move the fence with our lives that people may experience the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I invite us to that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your mercy, which knows no bounds, for your peace, which passes all understanding. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to see your great and gracious mercy upon the city of Nineveh and your call to Jonah and now to us to go into those places where people maybe aren't like us and to extend a hand of friendship, a heart of love, and a word of reconciliation and hope as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.